1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game, and we are at take two with Andy Phillips, because yours truly forgot to hit the record button, and we had a great episode recorded that is now lost forever. So Classic. we are going to do our best to recreate that. And the best way to do that is just to have a normal conversation because I'm a creature of habit and I'm probably going to ask the same or similar questions and hopefully we keep this thing on the rails. But we have got an awesome guest for you today. This is a guy who I had the pleasure of being on his podcast. He's in the insurance industry at the Urconic Agency, which is also a Keystone Agency and uh, member. And he's the author of a brand new book that is releasing tomorrow, the day after we record this, called Round Zero. And it's about the NFL draft. And he has some really unique perspective in that. And I can't wait to dig in and find out you know, what his thoughts are in the book, because I just know what it's like when you play sports your entire life and you get to a certain point and it's time to say, you know what, don't have it anymore. I got to figure out. The next thing to do. And so without any further introduction, Mr. Andy Phillips, what's up, brother?
2: What's up, man? I appreciate you doing this. We had a nice little rehearsal for this this one. So I think uh, this one should be better. But no, I appreciate you guys having me. You guys are the best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Lord knows I need as much practice as I can get. (laughs) So before we get into the book and what's going on in the agency world, sort of get everybody up to speed on your background and, and why this book is is so important to you, because I know you've got some pretty cool uh, history to share.
2: Yeah. So for those of you that listen don't know me, uh, I was born and raised in Michigan. I played football at central Michigan university, I uh, was in the back conference. Uh, I was a lineman there, started almost four years, had my chance in the NFL. Uh didn't get drafted, didn't get signed. About an hour after the draft, the Packers called me and basically offered me a tryout. So the following weekend, I went out to Green Bay and to uh, the rookie camp, which means they had all their drafted guys, all the guys they signed after the draft, and they want to host a two-day practice. Well, to do that, you need extra bodies. So there's 25 tryout guys out there. I was <laughs> one of them, and I was the only one of the 25 to get a contract after that. So it was a nice. wild experience. And I, you know, I was there and I, for about five months, I saw a lot of people that were there before me leave before me, which uh, if you're, your former athlete, you're a competitor, David, um, that's gratifying in itself. Not that you want to see people lose their jobs, but once you got more money than you, AKA signing bonus that I didn't even get. And once you uh, maybe were taken ahead of you, it is a, uh, You know, you kind of prove it to yourself. I I never really needed to prove anything in football to anyone else. I always wanted to prove things to myself. Um, It's funny because if you saw me on the field, you thought I was the most confident person on the planet because I was based on my preparation. But up until that first snap, I was completely motivated by fear. I was so scared (laughs) to mess up for my teammates, so scared to mess up uh, and not be able to be proud of what I put on film. But that actually drove me throughout the week. And then as soon as the, that first whistle happened, that first play happened, those pats popped, I was very confident. But so having that competitive fire and seeing how far I can make, it was great. I ended up getting caught. I was a cut casualty. Um, one of the, you know, one of if not the last guy I caught from the Packers in 2015 got playing four preseason games, but my experience there. So now I'm in, in, in the insurance world with the economic agency, but my passion for football hasn't left. My experience leading up to the draft actually led me to this book. I, uh, had a conversation with dave magazu rest in peace but he was the offensive line coach with the chicago bears at the time and coach magazu called me an hour before the first round started now i knew we knew i wasn't getting drafted first round this is not that but he called me an hour before the first round started and he said hey andy it's gonna be a great weekend for you i can't wait i'm hoping we're a part of it but it's gonna be a life-changing weekend so right there i'm like all right well Bears have a couple of late round picks. Worst case scenario, it sounds like they're gonna offer me a contract after. Well, the draft comes and goes, the signing kind of period, you could call it come and go. Bears want nothing to do with me. So every year I watched the draft, and I always wondered why, where was the where was the you know the mix up in their organization? Because I know for damn sure he wouldn't have had that conversation. He wouldn't have wasted his time if he didn't think that they had an opportunity to at least sign me. So there had to be some miscommunication and maybe who they were thinking for those late round and undrafted spots. And I always wondered every year, who's getting that call? Where's the mistakes? What are we missing in the pre-draft cycle that us as fans, now a fan, us as fans don't get to see? So I figured if I could get the four angles of the draft, agents, coaches, players, and general managers, if I could get interviews with those four areas, I might be able to piece some answers together or at least give stories that give people an idea of what really takes place in those like four months leading up into the draft. And uh would help the Pro Football Hall of Fame, would help with some of my connections. And then just, I mean, David, we're pests on on uh the phones in our in our job by nature. So some of that with emails and calling, it was no different than work, uh being able to get uh, some of these other connections for the book. So Great book. Uh, opportunity to speak with some unbelievable people, get their stories from different angles. The likes of you know Elise Steinberg, who the movie Jerry Maguire was basically made after, in his side of being an agent for the last forty years. Getting uh, you know an Aaron Rodgers, getting uh, Warren Moon, who had a really unique draft path. A lot Steve Mariucci, Bill Cowher. I mean, just unbelievable people involved in this, and to get their stories is pretty unbelievable. And I think put together a good product and it was uh, even better than I wanted it to be. And you know, you've written books, David, the scariest part eh. is boom. You have the deal with the publisher in place and now it's performing. And when you have interviews involved, it's okay. How am I, I want you to portray their story exactly how they would like it portrayed. And to be able to do all that, but then be able to kind of skip the, the, the final copies and be satisfied with it and understand that I did just that. It was a pretty incredible. But hey, we... Uh, well, that,
3: that sounds like the fear you described you know, before, before, before the whistle, before the kickoff, right? Like of, of messing things up for your teammates. And then once the whistle blew and you started hitting people, it's on.
2: I have the same fear in insurance, but it's a good fear. It's a motivating fear of... Doing your absolute best for a prospect in that time, and then, as soon as that proposal hits, you're full of confidence because you know you did that
3: mm-hmm.
1: I think it's always interesting to hear the things that motivate people, right? because i don't I don't know. I wouldn't say that I'm motivated by fear from anything. I'm more motivated because I was pissed off at life when I launched my agency, and that was a really that's probably not the healthiest thing to have motivate you because i i mean literally there was nothing that would stand in my way from getting what i wanted like i would have i would have fought i would have bled it doesn't matter you know there was no chance of me doing anything but reaching some level of success because i was that angry at the world and that motivated to succeed that doesn't always come across because you bring yourself together before yeah. you meet with prospects or clients or talk with your peer group but it's all the times when nobody's seeing what's going on behind closed doors that you have to get what get your own head right before you can do any of this stuff. And so, you know, i um I, I can relate to that at a certain level just for that reason. You had an interesting experience with Aaron rodgers when you when you interacted with him. But actually, you know before we I let you have you tell that story, I will say, you know, the one thing that I tell everybody about uh, writing a book is, When that thing's published and it gets out to the public, it would be the equivalent to me of getting buck naked and walking through the busiest shopping mall at Christmas season because everybody sees everything at that point and there's not a dang thing you can do about it to reel it back in. And so you let yourself out there. And I mean, I'll give you a great example from Dirty 130. I thought it would be a brilliant idea for me to transcribe an entire chapter with artificial intelligence not edit it and let it ride as is. And so if you read the chapter on webinars, some of these people are going to wonder how I sold a single insurance deal in my life because it doesn't appear in some cases I can put a sentence together. And it's okay if I hand the book out and I'm going to be talking to a group of people who haven't read it yet so I can tell them about that little Easter egg up front. But there's three quarters of the people or more that bought my book that... Or probably, what did, who is this clown and what is he doing? So I'm actually, when I did the, I recorded the audible version myself in my own voice. And that's when I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrifying. I need to go back and edit this chapter and fix it. I mean, there's a couple of little things here and there in the rest of the book, but nothing like the one I did artificial intelligence wise. And guess what? It's there, you know, it's out there. There's nothing I can do to change it for what's already been printed. I can only fix it for what's moving forward. But it's it's really kind of a helpless feeling to be honest with you, man. You hope you hope people like it. You hope that it re- your message resonates, but you really don't know. And then yep. the reviews start coming in, and you're like, ah, you can you can breathe a little bit easier because people are sending emails or shooting you messages to tell you that they like this part or that part or whatever. And that's the most gratifying part of the entire process. I mean, that's really the reason. You know, I can't speak to your motivation for writing a book, but I can tell you that's really the reason for me was just sort of to memorialize some of my thought process and you know what I would have done that's led me to be successful to be able to share that with other people and then get the feedback that it's actually worked for them. That I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to become a multimillionaire publishing books. Okay, it's just not that's not what I do. Um, But I can get those, I can get those. Um, emails and that kind of feedback. And honestly, man, that's gas on a fire to me. That's that's better than the money. I don't need the money from selling a book. I do just fine in my job. I like knowing that people picked it up, read it, took action on it, and it did exactly what it was supposed to do, which is make a difference.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, I, my wife will tell you, when I first had this idea, it was a passion project. And I thought it would be unique for readers. And I, then my main goal is I want to... you know, there's 18 people I want to make sure like the book. And those are the 18 people involved with their stories. I want to make sure they like it, but it's funny. Now that you write it, I, I feel how you feel, I hope people find what I was hoping to get out of the book and I hope that people enjoy it and I hope they learn from it. And I hope the people that spend their hard earned money on it are satisfied with their purchase. So if you do get more of that. And then, yeah, I'm not, listen, it was never a financial gain purpose for me. Um, Anybody comes in for it, great. But it was again, it was more the the gratification, the passion for it that really led me to do it. And something I always wanted to do. Uh, I'd say, you know, since I started writing probably, you know, six, seven years ago. It was something I was wanted to do, but to be able to do it is gratifying for sure.
1: Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing, man. Kyle's never gonna write a book. I mean, nah. I'm just gonna go ahead and call it out. Kyle has been on record multiple times, but for me, I don't even know how to read.
2: <laughs> for me the thing you is, don't have to know how to read it to write a book <laughs> it's fine
1: yeah it's um it was actually kind of therapeutic too man just to get yeah. thoughts out of my head and get them down onto paper it allowed me to think through processes and things that i've done it helped me remember things that i might not have in my game right now that you know worked at one point or another And then there's other ideas that I thought about that maybe didn't work out so well, but based on changes of environment or technology today, I was able to, you know, add some things back into my game and tweak them from a way that didn't work to what does work now. So I think there's a lot of benefits to it other than just getting a book out and sharing your story. There's a lot of personal benefits that come from it.
2: And you know what's interesting is, you know, my college coach, Dan Enos, um, he always used to tell us, listen, we had a couple game losing streak. He's like, go home, clean your entire room, deep dive into your apartment, clean that thing up, get your homework done. Like it was like, his thing was the people and the guys who are organized, motivated outside of football, that translates. And it's so ironic because I think a lot of people think like, oh, if I want to do well in my job, the only thing I can be doing is my job. But your brain doesn't work like that. Your brain needs the break from policy forms, but it doesn't mean your brain needs a break from activity. And I actually found during this process, from the time I started writing it to tomorrow release date, was the best period of my entire career. And it's ironic. It Maybe it's you know it's online with being where I'm at in my career as well. But at the same point, it's like when you're organized and you're thinking and you're you're driven off of your you know off of your career. You find yourself even more organized, even more motivated, and even more, I guess, ready to succeed in the career too. So I, I thought about that during this entire thing: was get your homework done, get your get your apartment and room cleaned, and you find that it translates into a more focused football experience. Well, the same thing happened with me with writing a book and my career in insurance as well. So it could be ironic, or it could be exactly what my college coach was preaching all those years. My wife.
1: Preaches she needs to get her headspace cleared out by me not stacking a bunch of crap on top of my dresser. So just throwing that out there.
2: There you go. There you go. go. We all have our spot.
1: So, you know, what'd you learn about yourself going through the process? Because I think everybody who ever authors a book has a certain amount of self realization as they're going through that process, which again is just another benefit to make you better in in the long run. What'd you discover?
2: I'd say two things. Uh, Number one is, I'm better with deadlines. I'm better when having my schedule completely filled out than I am just freewheeling. Like I'm a, I'm I'm very, I'm a very organized and visual. I work better when my, boom, my, my day with work schedule, but then even at night seven to eight do you know, transcribing eight to 10 uh, writing, like stuff like that. Like I just, I'm such a more, I'm more, my head is clear when I have a schedule, when I have processes. In place, and that doesn't mean need to be weeks and months out. But as long as like I go into the day and I know what I'm doing, I'm just that much better. And then the other thing is, I, I think I'm more creative than I thought, and which is good, which was really good for me because in writing, you have you know you have so many ways you can go, but you have to be able to turn all of that into like a very like take that creative the concepts that are you know left and right field and be able to hit him right down second base uh, for the book. And that was good for me with life. And that was good for me with work as well, because normally I'm a very black and white thinker. Just I've never been great in the gray area. You know this, we live in the gray area. And the book actually helped me with that because every chapter wasn't what I thought it would be. I mean, when I wanted to write the book, I my thought was, boom, each section, I have like five or six topics, and I'll get everybody in those sections to answer those questions and fill it from there. I got done with one interview, and I'm like, no, this can't be this way. Because if I box people into those five or six questions, I'm missing half their story. I'm missing what makes their journey unique. I can't do this. I had to live in the gray a little bit. And when things didn't go exactly black or white, like I'm used to, that helped me with work. That helped me with life. And uh, it's something I think I'd be able to carry a little bit more,
1: you know, it's funny. i I don't remember where it was that I talked about this, but I have talked about it. you know, just even doing the podcast where we're interviewing so many people, I've become a better question question asker, you know? I ask and I think part of it is, um, You know we're always on the fly on here i uh, people will send me emails hey do you have a list of questions you ask nope not really we just sort of figure out what we want to ask as we listen to you talk and i think that's i mean listen that's a diminishing skill right people are not good listeners for the most part most people out there want to listen with an intent to respond immediately instead of trying to understand your position so they can actually formulate a coherent response and the other thing is, they don't translate that into, you know, okay, well, now I can ask the next question. And that makes sense. I mean, if you become, if you're improving your listening skills and your question asking skills, that is directly going to translate to your skill as a producer. You're going to be better on the phones. You're going to be better in person. You're going to learn not to make it all about you and listen more than you speak. I mean, and so I got to believe, especially with the, you know, the level that some of the people are that you had the pleasure of interacting with, you know, you get one shot, brother, you know, that's it.
2: Sure.
1: Every time I hear that, I want to have like one of those easy buttons that just cuts to Eminem and go, you got one shot. You yeah, know, but, yeah. Michigan's um, finest. Yeah. But absolutely, man. And I think, um, I think you're going to see that pay you dividends. So. Well, dude, think about like, so I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm crushing a slice of
3: here off camera. I'm so um, jealous. To, I was getting, I was getting goofy there for a minute. I was about to pass out. What um,
2: <laughs> well, you? Um, well, you got to describe the slice now because I can't see. I need hold
3: up, man. Hold up. Let me. Let me. Uh, give me a second.
1: I don't care what people think of me. I'm eating a a salad with protein in it, some grilled chicken, and exactly two tablespoons of homemade dump ranch dressing, which it's is nice. Great. It's a nice slice of pepperoni
3: here. That mean, is it's a nice it's, uh, slice. the old blooming Bloomingdale pizza uh, good. right Has down a good the street. Flop to it. good flop. It's got a little bit of flop, but it's a little bit of crisp too. I'm kinda of holding it weird. That's kind ideal. of it a little bit weird. Um, that's ideal. I have very weak wrists, so uh,
2: <laughs> the fact that you have to bring it up while holding a slice of pizza actually tells me the quality of the pizza. Yeah, Well, in sure. fact,
1: you're talking about weak wrists when I've heard other things from your friends that went to high school
2: with you, but you
3: yeah. <laughs> Dude, I broke both my wrists in high school. It's the only thing I've broken except for <laughs> fingers and toes.
2: Were you like a skateboarder or something? I mean, how you? no, break no, I, I,
3: I played basketball actually. So oh, I, I, um, I, I didn't break it playing basketball either time. First time <laughs> was on a razor scooter, um, trying to hurdle over shit in my driveway. So pretty close to skateboard. Yeah, right. Pretty close. Um, Razor scooters were the thing back in the day. Um, And then the other time I was playing football. So I was just like, it was just a little pickup game at the commons and got, I was, I mean, like, there's no need. I I was 10 yards through the end zone, like that we had made. (laughs) And it wasn't like, it wasn't painted or anything. It was just like, we set up cones. And it's like, this dude tackled me and landed on top of it. I mean, I'm not a huge guy and was certainly not big at that point. I was probably like one one thirty-five, soaking wet, and oh, uh, dude I told me fifth in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and landed all his body weight on top of me, and my my wrist just crumbled. But uh, anyhow, I, I don't know where I was. I think I, initially what I had brought up was the fact that like if you look back at the initial podcasts and like you were talking about questions and listening and all that, like very choppy, especially on my end. I come on these and have a no idea who we're talking with. And B, no idea what we're going to be talking about. So the first 15, 10, 15 minutes or whatever, I'm typically just sitting there trying to figure out what the hell it is, especially if it's something tech-related, and then trying to formulate some sort of semi-intelligent question <laughs> based upon
1: what's been happening already. So that's how oh, these
3: pods work. hundred oh, yeah, conversation.
1: 100%. But I'll, honestly, man, I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it's grown to what it has, too. It's not the same canned bullcrap. You know the other thing is we know our stuff, so when we ask questions, it proves that we're not just here to be podcast hosts that happen to be have an insurance agency. We just happen to have a podcast. We we know the insurance game very well, so you know I think that's a big difference too. And that was not direct, by the way. Before I ever get have anybody throwing anything at me. I'm not saying anybody that's got an insurance podcast is that way. So maybe that wasn't a good example. I don't need any of my friends getting offended because I'm good friends with literally about everybody who has an insurance podcast. I'm simply saying that we're insurance agents first. And this is a fun little side thing, right? And so we're always going to conduct ourselves that way. Probably not going to have the best production quality, you know, probably not going to have all the best questions, but we will have really good technical information and real world examples, and we're going to get the same from our, our um, guests that we have on. So, I've heard the story before. Talk to talk to Kyle though. I'm, I want you to share your story about when you were with when you had your interaction with Aaron Rodgers there, and it may even have been at that practice that you were talking about or shortly
2: after. Yeah. So Aaron was always great to me. I don't know why. I mean, when I got signed, I was the last man on the roster. The very first day. He comes up to me at a walkthrough, introduces himself, asks me if I have any questions, like very like stuff that you don't have to do. Trust me, I was in the locker room. You hear guys who came from other teams, and I won't name names, but other star quarterbacks don't do that, right? If you're not a starter, they're not talking, basically. But Aaron, I mean, he came right up to me. I was the 89th man on the roster the day I got signed. He made a point to come up to me. I thought that would be it, you know, we move on. No, it seemed like every day, every other day for the longest time when we were in walkthroughs, He'd come up to me. What do you need to know? And I think it was because I was a center. He was a quarterback, like just okay. understanding calls. I was going to ask and, which, and which and spot on the line you were. Okay. I was going to say,
1: man, I, the guy's not dumb by any stretch. I, He's building a relationship with the guy that's going to protect him right out of the box.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And i was center and guard. So either okay. way, I'd be right there. But yep. um, no, it was interesting. I mean, he just And then it turned into questions, turned into once he knew I kind of knew my stuff, then it was quizzing me about like unique, obscure stuff that we didn't learn in the meeting, especially as rookies up to that point, mm-hmm. like stuff that they'd seen in week 14, the week before, you know, the year before when I wasn't around, like just curious, mm-hmm. they bring this blitz. They show this look, what you call? I checked to this. What are you calling? Like little things like that. And it was, it was the best thing for me because you feel that pressure of head man in charge, wanting to know what you know. And it was, it, it was unbelievably motivating for me. Well, the story David's referring to is our my last practice and didn't know it was gonna be my last practice. You have an idea, it might be because it's the last practice before the final preseason game. Right. Well, this is back when in the NFL starters still played most of the preseason games. Like yeah, so what, what year is this? Series. I might have missed it. 2015. Okay. So it was before the Sean McVay kind of took over LA and said, nope, none of our starters are playing. Yeah. And then the NFL started to adopt that a little bit more. This is back when you know, on my first game, we opened up at New England, and Brady and Rogers started the game. You know what I mean? So, like, this is that era. So, my final game is against the Saints, and now this is when they would sit starters. Typically, it was the final ones because that gives them two weeks, really, between game action before the regular season starts. Mm-hmm. So, we get into our our walkthrough, and this would have been the day before. I think we played in a Friday night on NFL Network. So, this has been Thursday, and. Listen, man, when you're when you're just trying to make a team and you're you're an undrafted guy, I went and I did all my reps that I was doing on offense with our team against the scout defense. You know, you had scripts, especially the day before. And then when it turned over and the number one defense went out there, they needed a scout team offense. I'm right back in there at center. So I'm doing a lot of plays in the very, you know, in a row. Mm-hmm. So I go in there with the uh Scout team offense, very first play. Aaron wasn't playing against New Orleans the next day. He was resting. So he wasn't practicing. He had his jersey on, had his helmet with him, but he was – next thing I know, I'm in the huddle, and he comes and he taps out the quarterback, and he's going to run scout team offense to mess with the defense. So next thing I know, I'm, like, I'm at center, and I have Aaron Rodgers behind me, reigning MVP of the league. And this is when walkthroughs are awkward. Because the speed its not a walkthrough, by the way, but it's depending who you're going against. Some guys like hard first three steps contact. Then you kind of let the play play out. No one gets injured type thing. Dudes trying to make the team might as well be a period. Right. Mm-hmm. So not knowing really, you know, I had the adrenaline of Aaron Rodgers, you know, behind me taking snaps from me. I come up that first play and. I fire off the ball like an absolute cannon at it's BJ Raji. Case. Do you remember the name BJ Raji? Yes, absolutely. BJ six three six four. He came into camp that year, the lightest he'd been since his rookie year, and I think he was 337 pounds. The lightest. <laughs> I fire off at of him. He wanted to fight me, and it was like break each other, like break up, like everything like that. And I'm like, I got 12 behind me. I'm not getting walked back into him. Anyway, we go on, and we're, and we're going, we're moving the ball, and it's hilarious because – Scott, they hold up the card. You get in your huddle, they're holding the card of a play the Saints would run to get your defense ready, and we would get to last scrimmage, and Aaron would audible everything. He would see the defensive look. He'd audible our plays. So now I'm having to do the whole audibling everything at the last scrimmage. His audibles changed my calls to, to the rest of the line, and we're marching the ball right downfield. Well, Aaron's known for, if you don't watch Packers, Aaron's known for his hard counts, getting oh, yeah. the defense to jump, and then you get a free play, right? Whereas yeah. it doesn't really matter what happens. We get at least five yards. But the key with that is the center. You gotta know him snap got to snap it. You got to snap it. You get to see the movement out of the side of your eyes, unless it's right in front of you. And you have to get the ball off in like in sync, because if you hold it too long and the guy starts going backwards and you snap it, that's a false start. Everyone on the offense. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I had my shot. Aaron had a hard count where I'm about the five yard line going in and I just got him. Guys off. I snap it. He's dropping, and dropping, and dropping, and rolls out, touchdown, came up, smacked me on the helmet, great bleeping job. And it was like one of those cool moments, right? Mm-hmm. I played the next day. I was – I think PFF had me as the highest graded player on the Packer offense, last game I ever played a football. So I ended on a good note. But I always wondered if Aaron – I thought the reason he hopped in was because he wanted to mess with the defense. Mm-hmm. and the, the more the years have well, went on i always wondered if he knew you were out if he knew like me yeah. and maybe some of the other guys this is the last time we'd ever play football again let's that's, give these uh, guys some memories that's
3: interesting man
2: that, I mean, I so him. i got to talk okay. to
3: him for the okay. I, I got
2: to talk to him for the book so we're seven years later and I, and I asked him i said first off when he got on the phone i'm like listen this isn't like beyond recollection for me that 90 guys, there's going to be 30 guys every single season that he sees for a four to five month period and never sees again in his life. And you do that for, at the time, 17, 18 seasons. It's a lot of guys. You're not going to remember a lot of them, right? I mean, think about it. You, Dave, Dave, when you go to your speaking engagements, for example, you meet a lot of people at those, shake a lot of hands. If I asked you seven years later, do you remember every single one? Knowing you, you probably remember a lot of them, but there's going to be some people that you don't. I would, but
1: only because I was trained to remember stuff like that using right. really specific techniques. But in in all reality, no. I mean, it's it's impossible.
2: I mean, this guy sees thirty guys every single year that are in the same locker room, same practice with them for four to five months, but they move on. Well, this is seven years later, and I got to ask him. I said, first off, it's not lost on me that you didn't have to do this. You might not, you, you might not remember who I am, and I take zero offense to that. But I was undrafted guy, and I just appreciate you doing this. And he his response was. Something, something along the lines, paraphrase, you know, some of you guys stand out more than others. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And then I asked him, I said, listen, I, I told him about that practice. I, uh, and he started like nodding, shaking his head. And he just kind of said, he goes, it's not lost in him that it could be the last time for a lot of guys on that field. And he he likes making memories for him. So I thought it was pretty cool, cool. that he To be at the top of the mountain and to understand those moments for guys beneath you. I think it's a very cool trait, and it's why, listen, the media can bash them all they want. Guys, know well, that, that's what I was They're gonna awesome.
1: say, man. I mean, that's the those are the you hear the stories that the media puts out yeah. on so many people. I mean, in, in yeah. Aaron Rodgers certainly gets his fair share of of media coverage. It's whether all they talk it's, about on get up, yeah, <laughs> good, bad, otherwise, Literally, whatever, yeah. right? But yeah, at the end of the day you don't have a career in the NFL or in anything in the world like that, where you're responsible for leading an organization or a team, unless you have leadership ability in no doubt. part of being part of having leadership ability and being an effective leader is to understand what servant leadership is. You're hundred percent, right, man. That guy didn't have to go out and take a single snap. He didn't have nah, to do anything, He's a main man. but what, what he did was, number one, make a huge impact on those of you that he came out and played with. But he also set the tone for the rest of the team who could see, hey, here's a guy that has no business being out here, no, no real requirement, and yet he's here. You're not the only guy that asked him why he did that that day. And that's a no. great leadership lesson for the people who were with him for the rest of the season. Because I think that... That Rogers is honestly, I mean, I don't look. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, and you're both probably far more deep into the weeds on this than what I am. But you know, it which means that the media probably impacts my opinion more than yours because I don't bother to research anything. But I think he's highly regarded as a selfish prima donna for the most part. That is going to do his way and his way only. That action doesn't doesn't ring true with me, right? No, and the
2: reason I think it is. Is listen? There's a especially when you're a quarterback, you can have a lot of different avenues between your publicists, between the former players you who you played with who are in the media now, and between just any connection you wanted. Your text that you can get stories like I just told you that could get out. If you wanted out, he could have a publicist leak something like that. But Aaron isn't concerned with that. He really right. isn't. He's concerned with the dudes in the locker room, and if they respect him, that's all he cares about. And because you don't have those stories and because the only real media he goes on is McAfee, his boy. Yeah. I think the other media just assumes like, Oh, he's not giving us an interview. Oh, he's not, you know, we don't hear the stories like we hear about some of these other guys that he must be a, you know what? And it's, it's just not true. Listen, it's just not true. And I I go to bat for that guy any day because again, he didn't have to even, you know, glance at me, and he did. He he was so good to me, and not even just five, seven seven eight years ago, but a year ago, talking to him on the phone about this. That's cool, well, man. And the thing too is, it's
1: so much more powerful when it doesn't come from the media in a leak, right? 100%. Like something like this. This is authentic, man. I mean, there, he, he'll never know that this existed. I mean, maybe Will Rogers, if you ever want to come up. Our <laughs> producer, you know. You're welcome to come have a chat with us. I mean, hell, I'll probably go in the woods with you for a month and grow my hair long if you want me to do that too. But, you know, at the end of the day... I would day, love
3: to see you with some long hair. I can't even begin to I imagine. bet Dave had some flow back in the day. No I know, chance. You know
1: what? I never could grow it that long because it's so fine. It would just get stringy. What I would look like is a really bad version of Ben Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't... Because the problem is... You know, if I don't keep like, my hair trimmed like, on the like sides, I, I go yeah, I go straight poly walnuts with the white walls on the side. So
3: by the way, be- real quick, sidebar on, on whole poly walnuts, I or and just sopranos in general. I uh, read this book that is called um Oh my god. It's so it's Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa that are they, they have a podcast and I think it's just called Talking Sopranos. But they wrote a book too. And it's like them interviewing people and stuff like that. But my favorite part of the book is the fact that Paulie Walnuts is basically playing himself in real life. Aside from from, like he's not, you know, he wasn't like in the mob, but like the way he acted and all that stuff was just the was just like spot on. They actually used his apartment, like that he lived in as this they recreated it and it's (laughs) like a mirror image. On the set or anything, but sorry to to uh, no. Those are the
2: best about. actors, the ones that you don't think are actually acting <laughs> oh, Like, like Vince Vaughn plays virtually the same dude. God, I love Vince movie. Vaughn so much, and I conv- watch every single
1: one of them. I, <laughs> I will watch one hundred percent of them.
2: Me too, and I feel like all right, he's been this character. Wait, he's been the forty-two-year-old bachelor who's like really sarcastic and funny and like quick, witty, witty. Way too long and way too many times for me not to think that's you in real life.
3: Yeah, for sure. And so and and this kind of this I'm glad that this has been brought up because this kind of ties into something I was gonna bring up. So I went to USF and and one of my roommates and one of my uh, you know, good buddies from we actually knew each other since middle school, probably like sixth grade. Uh he played on he played on the O line at USF when I was there. So we were there. We were there when we actually got ranked up. Uh we were number two in the nation at that point. And I swear to God, man, the <laughs> the offensive linemen were the funniest MRFers that I ever came in contact with. They had their own language. This is where Big Cat came from, David. Like everybody was called Big Cat. And obviously, you know, it, it came from wedding crashers because it had come out a few you know, years before that, but oh my God, man, they were some of the funniest dudes in I'm the world. I'm not even going
1: to go ahead and tell you that it was actually the nickname of Andres Galarraga, known first baseman for the Montreal Expos, Atlanta Braves and Colorado right. Rockies. Just throwing that out there. There you go. He was the well, big cat too.
3: I swear, man, those dudes were such characters. I used to love, I bas- I mean, we would just go out to the bars and it was like I like I could basically do anything I wanted because I had these massive... <laughs> three hundred and fifty pound guys walking Here's around. The they were just, yeah, they're just like the. They, they, they were the best
1: man.
2: Well, no, it's kind of funny, job. man,
1: because I'm the smallest of all my friends, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a small dude, but I mean, I've got friends that are legit six, 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 seven, three fifty, three sixty, and so that's probably one of the reasons my mouth used to get the best of me too. The, the funny part about Vince Vaughn is, if you like that style of humor and you're his fan, it's so relatable, like. I would have no problem walking up to that dude on the street, fully expecting he'd be willing to hang out with me because <laughs> he should be right. Like we yeah. would have an awesome time hanging out. But it, it's always it's always interesting to see um, and especially how people are you know, in real life compared to what you expect them to be based on. You know, in his case, it's fictitious, or is it? Right? But you know, even even some of the other people. And I'm, I apologize, I cut you off when you were getting ready to say something,
2: Andy. No, you're good. I, I, I was just gonna say, there's two groups of people you can always tell, no matter what, and that's offensive linemen and wrestlers. Like, there's just something about the personalities that is uniform that you'll walk up to one and you meet one and within a minute, you know, like, did you play a liner? <laughs> you wrestled, didn't you? And it's not no, the no, cauliflower. No. It's like a personality trait, yeah, which is just, for sure. It's funny. But yeah, Vince Vaughn, he's li- maybe he's listening. I mean, he's just a regular guy like us, right? I don't know why he wouldn't be, honestly. He's yeah. probably yeah.
1: in the middle of a breakup sure. of a relationship, you know, just waking up <laughs> after a rough night with hookers and poker in the living room. You know, you're
2: referring to, in my the break- opinion, the great, maybe the greatest rom com of all time. Uh, the breakup? Oh, yeah. The scene when he's playing Madden with General oh date.
1: And talking smack the whole time. I think my all time favorite line in the entire movie is you can't take a pitch pipe out of a man's hand when he's in the middle of a funky groove. You can get hurt doing something like that. Michael
2: Higgins, legend. Uh,
1: That guy, that guy, there's another guy that plays the same character in every single thing he's in because if you watched Pitch Perfect, he's in all three of those same general, you know, sarcastic, very, very deep level.
2: Sense of humor. Hell, he, he's the elf in uh, Fred Claus with Vince Vaughn. And he's the same kind of dude.
1: <laughs> Isn't it funny how those guys sort of run with their boys in all their movies? Like, you know, John Favreau is going to show up as, even if yeah. it's only yeah. a cameo. Yeah. And Adam Sandler is the same way, man. Oh. It's like Sandler takes all the same guys in every movie.
2: Sandler's hilarious because it's like, you know, there's going to be eight of the same people in the same movie. You're just wondering when they pop up.
1: And and David what Day. character they're playing this time, right? Yeah. yeah. Rob, right. Rob Schneider, Gary Rob Schneider. David sure. um,
3: dude uh, Chris Rock,
1: uh Kevin James, Nick Swartzen,
2: So Nick Swartson. Ron Howard's brother. I've got, a, I've got brother. A Nick Swarton story. So Yes, Ron Howard's brother. Uh the dude who was a uh, cross-eyed and water boy. Oh yeah. He's been in <laughs> multiple since. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, him
1: um well even um just all of them have, man. I mean you Wedding know, Singer. I, I actually like doing a scavenger hunt watching Adam Sandler movies just to pick out all of those people because they're not always yeah. in like a main starring role either. No. It might just be like no. one quick thing where they pass by or whatever and you're, he, you're
2: like, even the you dude know that played Farmer Fran. <laughs> you know who's been in like eight of eight or nine of his movies is Dan Patrick, the Dan Patrick show. Yeah. yeah. He's been mm-hmm. in like eight or it's always like very small, like And what, and, uh, uh, I want to say grownups. He was like the gym teacher. Like one scene. He was the cop
1: in, uh, he was the, he was the cop that was with the other guy that was like laughing when he, he made fun of the other cop in longest yard.
2: Yes. Yes. He always has one scene. He's always a smart aleck. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, just take your boys to the top with you.
1: Well, Dan Patrick was the man when I was growing up, man. I mean. Sports that was the big, that was the big show on Sports Center when you had Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah.
3: Stuart Scott crushed it. All those guys were the best. SVP. Oh. I still I still sit there and watch SVP every night. Dan you know, crushes time.
2: those guys yeah. are, for sure. There's there's been rumors that they're going to make a ES, the beginning of like ESPN Sports Center movie.
3: That'd be cool because I saw like a document. I don't even know if it was a documentary, but it was like a. God, I don't know if it was like a like an E60 or a 30 for 30 on on something similar to that. Like like it or maybe it was just showing you all the old sports center stuff. That might have been yeah. what it was. But well like
2: Chris Berman, boomer. Yeah. He was like yeah. one of if not the first employee. And it was really? like a huge risk. <laughs> yeah, it was naturally. like him and who was the guy, the guy who used to do outside the lines, so like really Bob you, Lee. Yes. They were like the real like first two guys. And it was like yeah, the and, well, and they didn't even look like it.
1: sportscasters. They looked like weathermen that had eaten too much. 100%. 100%. Love yeah. It. So listen, man, we've talked about football. Talk a little bit about how those things have translated over into your career as a producer in the agency. I mean, we have to a certain degree with the comments surrounding organization and everything else. But what else do you think you tap into from your experience as an athlete that, that gets you – um get you juiced up when you're ready to produce.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, there's really three things to me. I think that, and I hope one of them is an awesome
1: pregame ritual, not to stack the deck in my favor, but
2: <laughs> not really, man. And I wasn't really big on that in college was football either. I wasn't really a ritual guy. Like some games I listened to some music, some games I won it. Like the only thing is weird. And I'm going to get into the actual insurance. The only thing I did that's weird. I still kind of do it to this day. And it makes me seem like an absolute psycho is like if i have a left and a right option like socks shoes football gloves the left has to go on first and it's the weirdest thing ever because i'm not superstitious but apparently i am because like if i forgot and popped on my right sock first i would take it off to get the left (laughs) one so i guess to that extent i'm still like that to this day because before i head to a meeting my left shoe will be on first but uh Anyways, now that now everyone turned off the podcast, which is great. No, um, but I mean no. look at these look at these guys that get in. I mean, the stuff in between pitches in the
1: batter's box is insane.
0: Oh, yeah. No like, part so The on, gloves, like that on the like, thing and, he used to do. Yeah, like, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: All of all of that stuff. I mean, I used to just get in there and rip, man. Like, hurry up, let's get this thing over with. Bring it.
2: <laughs> yeah, the pit, you didn't need the pitch clock that they're doing these days.
1: Uh-uh. Not so at yeah, all.
2: no, and sure, man. I, I just I really pride myself on I'm persistent as hell. Like I am. Like it does not bother me like to keep reaching out in different angles until you tell me no, then I'm respectful. But like I'm persistent when it comes to the cold calling stuff. I'm persistent with my emails. I'm persistent in trying to find new angles to reach the people I think I need to be connected with because. We're solution oriented. We find problems. We lean heavy into workers comp. We lean heavy into finding people that are having trouble not controlling their experience mod. I mean, you guys know. I mean, that's a that people who don't use that to their advantage. Our industry are just not using information because our goal as producers is to help, is to fix. And if you're not doing either of those, you might get business for a year. But you're going to on the chopping block every other year after that. Our goal is to get into organizations that have an issue, find out the issue by listening to them. Like we talked about earlier, listening, tell me what, you, I, I see a problem. I can see that on paper, but tell me why we're there. Tell me why the last 10 years, your mod's above a 1.5. Like I can see that on paper. I need to know internally in your organization, what do you think your issues are? Because you're going to know more than I do from looking at a piece of paper. Tell me what's going on. And then I will help find solutions and resources to get that number. But we're going to need buy in as well. I find that if you're persistent and you have an ability to listen and provide a resource and provide value, you can have success in this industry. And it's no different than football. It's listen, when you're running, you're not just running plays that are on paper. They, every play is a touchdown when it's drawn up. It's execution when the defense is doing something you've never seen. All that is done through preparation. All that is done with having the resources in your playbook, in your brain, in your studies, in your practice, in your habits to execute when things aren't right. Well, that's insurance. When things aren't right with an experience, bond, when things aren't right with claims, when things aren't right with services that they currently have, it's up to us to adapt and to be able to move forward and help them solve those issues. And we pride ourselves on not just talking about it, but doing it. And I think those things have easily translated. And then, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I man, I like to win. And we all like to win. And to me, you have to, uh, I forgot who said it. Maybe it's known famous. Maybe it's just something that people say, but I love the quote, you have to earn the right to win. And we believe we do that in the back end. So when it comes time and you, you're you putting that left shoe on first and you're maybe turning on some music and you're heading to a presentation and you win it, you know, you've earned it that's gratifying. And then it's, you know, like we talked about, now it's time to prove it. And we're confident in our ability to do that.
1: I got to believe too, just with the amount of work that goes into performing at that high of a level, and probably the closest I've ever come to being in major league baseball is in a semi pro wooden bat league I played in between my freshman and sophomore years of college, which was pretty cool to to do because I was playing with guys that became household names at one point. Right. I was I, I got to face Tim Wakefield, which was kind of wild.
2: Um well, he still throw knuckleball, I'd imagine
1: yeah oh, yeah, no, no, I mean, he was he was not even in the majors yet. like it was we i'm not I'm not old, and he was that young. but uh, you know, it was it was that was an interesting experience. but you know, I think about what you have to do to prepare as an athlete, right? Preparation is key. It's what you do in the off season, as you well know. It's what you do, um you know, pregame, post game, you know, what are you doing to study and make yourself better? How often are you watching film and reviewing your playbooks and all of these other things. And I think that if you're used to being in that kind of a regimen, it makes it really easy for you to just move in and figure out how you need to take what you do now in the insurance industry and format it to fit what your day looked like before. Yep. You know, I think and as you can tell when I got into the insurance industry, I let the insurance industry take the place of me going to the gym on a regular basis. But, um, you know, it's it's i just think that that's probably that the winning mentality is certainly one of those things i don't know that sports gives that to us i think it brings it to the forefront i think you're born that way man to be completely honest with you i think you know some people are born that they just want to be driven competitors and be at the top of the game no matter what other people are happy just getting by and other people just quite frankly don't care but you know do you think that that's accurate? Do you think that how, yeah. you pre- how you prepare for a new business appointment or just even your normal work week has been impacted based on how you used to prepare for the football field?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the reason I even la- even got that contract as the only try guy in Green Bay is so because I knew what the hell I was doing. And the only reason I knew what the hell I was doing was because they dropped us off that first night. We all fly in. You go through physicals. You get your equipment. You're getting ready. You know, you get back to the hotel about 9 o'clock or so, 9, 9.30, and they're picking your, your you back up the next morning at 6 a.m. A lot of guys went to bed. I didn't. I, I studied the playbook until my eyes were bleeding, and I sacrificed. I said, listen, I'm not going to sleep much these next two days. I can get by, but I'm going to know what I'm doing on the field. And the very first day that rookie came, me and this other center uh, from Oregon, we split the reps by day number two, I I got 90% of the reps because I knew what I was doing. They trusted me. And if your center can't get everyone on the same page, it is an ugly practice. And I knew that I knew that I'd been around the block enough. So I knew my study habits and the workout put in, it it would get to the point where it would translate and they had no choice, but to keep me. And the same thing with insurance, you study hard enough, your prospect, their needs, their issues, you put in enough work and you come in with a good product. It's it's kind of the same. It's like, you know, you're coming in and they can't afford to let you go. They have to keep you around. And uh, listen, you're going to lose some though, too. And that's, under. I mean, it is what it is. It's we're in the industry for the reason. But I totally agree. You're you're born as a competitor. I mean, there's a lot of got people that think they are and uh, good for them. But, you know, the competitors because they're the ones who in between practices are diving on the floor playing ping pong. For no Mm -hmm. reason, I think you know they're the ones playing Monopoly or you know Uno with their with their nieces, nephews, son, and family, and they they want to win. It's not an option, and uh, I agree with you. The winning is just you know one of my favorite things. Actually, I'm I'm just quick sidetrack. You ever see people after they win the Super Bowl, and they don't look elated? It's it's like expected.
3: They're like, "This is what we.
2: This is this should have happened." It's the expected but it's also the or like like they're relieved they're relieved (laughs) because it's like all the work i put in Mm -hmm. for this like it happened brett Favre had a great not not my book he's in my book not for that reason but he had a great story about he was that guy in the podium in 96 or i guess it would have been 97 on the podium but it's 96 season they beat the patriots and he was just kind of up there and it was kind of like what now like yeah it was. It's about the journey. It's about the climb. It's about the fight to get there. And then when it goes your way, you expect it because of the work you put in. You get the win. That you're just right All right, What's next? I mean, and that when you, when I, like you win an account, it's like like a really nice account, man. You're happy. But the next morning, it's kind of like business as usual. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly,
1: man, sometimes I'm I'm in that relieved state for a couple of days and it doesn't even sink in that, holy cow, now we need to get to work and onboarding this and the rest of it starts. Or I mean, I think it's probably another really good analogy would be like a UFC fighter that's in like a three-month fight camp leading up to this championship fight. And it's like they win, you know, they're so overcome with emotion and everything at that moment. And then they may take a day. They may take two days off, but most of these dudes, they're right back at it the next because they know they have to maintain that. The other thing I was going to say on an aside Ryan Jensen, outstanding center for the Tampa Bay Bucks, fan favorite. Love that dude. There is never anybody who's going to play on his team that doesn't know he has their back because my guy is nasty. Like, you know, I I never pay attention to centers until that guy is on the field. That's a fair point. And then it's it's always like, what's the next thing Jensen's getting ready to do? And it's amazing the difference he has on the team. We have been going we have been going almost an hour. I want to be respectful of your time, and we are batch recording, so we need to stay on time. Before I do, though, I want to make sure everybody knows, you know, we have a, a habit or a custom or whatever we want to call it here, where when we have somebody who wrote a book on, we give away copies of their book. So... I need you to follow directions because one thing I can tell you about listeners of power producers is, you know, for as much as you listen to the podcast, I don't think you actually listen to the podcast. So I need you to send me an email to David at killing commercial.com. David at killing commercial.com. In the subject line, I need you to put round zero so I can filter by subject. And then in the body, I need your name and address, man. Come on, people. You're sending me things in the subject line, and I even know where to ship it half the time with some of y'all. So take the time to do that right. I want to get Andy's book out. I'm sure it's going to do awesome on its own, but it's one of the ways we like to reward the people who listen to us too. Now, understand, people, you are not ordering from Amazon, so sometimes it might take, David, a week or two to get those things shipped out because I do ship them all. We Actually, Nicole helps and and she's the one who does the shipping out of the office here in Valrico it doesn't come from Amazon or anywhere else so just know that you're going to get it it may not be as fast as you like but i'm giving you a free book as fast as i can give you a free book so i appreciate you, that david yep if you will if you will get that over to me it'll go to the first 12 and um other than that hey i think the redo was better than the first one man i really enjoyed the I conversation i think you're it welcome. was great Yep, and and Kyle, you know, just the uh, the cameo with the weak-wristed pizza display, just yeah, a little
3: floppy, like, just so.
1: you had to you had to get under it. Like, I don't think you could have held it out this way, I, or you.
2: I was trying to get it to so the camera could see That it. that has to it be on the, the T-shirt. That has to be on the T-shirt, like a character. It would literally
1: would be. be <laughs> just it would literally <laughs> look like the pizza was Steven Seagal in <laughs> Out for Justice snapping your arm in half at the wrist. <laughs> so
2: yeah, that, anyhow. <laughs> The well, fact listen, that your weak wrists were brought up because you are holding a slice of pizza. I mean, I, I feel bad for you.
1: <laughs> it's
3: all right. Self-deprecation is how I roll. There you go.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you can't make fun of yourself, what's, what's the point? So, <laughs> exactly. Anyhow, Andy, thanks so much, brother. We'll catch you soon and look forward. Hopefully you're able to make it to New Orleans. I'll see you then. I appreciate it. Everybody guys, else, catch so you next
0: time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast.